Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Man, it is good to see you guys. How are you feeling today? You good? What a great morning it's been so far. Welcome to those at our South Campus and those at our Dream Center experience. And we're cheering you guys on at the Grovetown official grand opening today. Man, God is doing so many great things through this church, and it is just an honor to be a part of it. And I'm so excited about the message today. It's one of my my favorite stories from the Gospels, Jesus' healing of a blind man. But the way that he heals this guy is something very unique, and I think that there's a lot that we can learn from it and apply to our lives today. Because all through the Gospels, we see Jesus healing people in different kinds of ways, but blindness seems to be an issue that he was particularly focused on. And I think there were multiple reasons for that. I mean, number one, to heal somebody's physical blindness is to completely give them a new lease on life. But we also know that in a spiritual sense, Jesus came to heal all of our blindness. Like he came to spiritually let the scales fall off of our eyes so that we could see our life, we could see himself, we could see the world the way he wants us to see it, and we could see our own sin and our need for a savior. And that's something he wants to do for all of us. But starting with kind of the the physical aspect of blindness, Um, This is something in my family that kind of hits close to home because all of us have terrible eyesight and they all inherited it from me. Starting from a young age, I was this kid with with terrible eyes. I I brought a picture, these thick glasses. I know, it's like cute, it's so cute. Um, I had a big patch that I wore for a lot of it, you know, and the buck teeth were a nice touch too. But one positive that came out of this look even though I've never officially been recognized for this or received any royalties, I am very confident that I was the inspiration behind a very popular 1990s movie character. I'll let you decide. We put these side by side. So, you know, you tell me, the teeth, the glasses, I feel like I should have received a check from somebody over that. And then this, this continued in our family, uh, this poor eyesight. In fact, each one of our kids has had weaker eyes than the one before us. So our our, our last child, our fourth child, Chatham, he was born with needing glasses. And you're like, why is that child having to feed himself? It's because he's number four, guys. He's lucky to just exist. We were so tired. We were like, listen, buddy, here's the deal. You're going to have to get a job at three. You're going to have to start feeding yourself. No, we, we did also feed him. But you learn the tricks by the time you're on to number four. So just let gravity do the work. He had to have eye surgery. He had to wear a patch. This is a cute picture. Him wearing a patch, and he put a patch on his minion. Is that not the cutest thing? So, but he's, uh, he's doing a lot better too. So we're so thankful for modern medicine and eye doctors and surgery and all the different ways that God can, can, can heal. But in the old days, you know, they didn't have that. They didn't have ophthalmologists, and they didn't have eye surgeries and all of those things. And so if somebody had blindness, not just poor vision, but blindness, they were you know, helpless in a lot of ways. And Jesus really came to show us, though, through people's physical situations that all of us are helpless in a spiritual sense. We're all blind spiritually. We all have things that we would rather cover over than actually deal with, those parts of ourselves that we cover over. In fact, you know, full transparency, that's why that I'm, wear- I'm wearing a vest today. You know, there is no practical purpose for a vest other than to cover love handles. That's what these are for. My arms are cold, my torso's hot, this thing makes no sense. 
But all you guys wearing a vest, it's the same thing. I just outed all of us. It's, it's a love handle cover, and I'm not sorry for it. But on a spiritual sense, we're covering a lot more than, than love handles. We have a sense of, I want to cover over that sin. I want to cover over this part of my life instead of letting Jesus actually work on it. And it takes courage to reveal those parts of ourselves. But Jesus already knows. He already sees. And there's such courage when we step out into the light and allow him to shine the light into what we've kept in the dark and allow him to bring vision to our blind spiritual eyes to see our need for a Savior and what he really wants to do in our life. So with all that being said, if you've got your Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, feel free to open it up to Mark chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. Um, We'll put this on the screens behind me. We're going to read this very interesting story of how Jesus healed a blind man in a messy way. And that leads us into the first point before we even dive into the scripture. And it's that God loves turning messes into miracles. And if you're here today and you feel like there's a certain part of your life that's a mess, Maybe it's your marriage, your finances, your health, your, your dreams, your family, whatever it might be. Just know that God is present with you in your mess. He's present with you right where you are. And very often, he does his very best miracles in the midst of our messes. And in fact, as we'll see, sometimes the healing process itself is even messy, but it's just part of it. So beginning in verse 22. When they arrived in Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said. I see people, but I can barely see them. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened, and his sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into your village on the way home. So there's a lot happening in this story. You know, number one, right at the beginning, we see that this guy had some friends who cared about him. This guy had some people who brought him out to Jesus to be healed. And very often in our life, we're going to have to have community around us, and we're going to have to be community, be good friends for others, to help be part of their healing. And we need other people to be part of our healing. So much of what we're called to do in Scripture cannot be lived out in isolation. We have to do it within the context of relationship, which is why we're, we're talking about small groups here so much, and why we encourage you to pursue healthy relationships so often, because it's what God designed us to do. And this guy had some folks in his life who cared enough to bring him out to see Jesus. We see Jesus healed this guy in a a really unique way. It's the only time recorded in the Bible that Jesus spit on somebody. I was so close to calling this sermon Holy Spit. I was so close. (laughs) But I went with messy miracles. But Jesus spit on this guy. Now, there's another time in the Bible he spits in the dirt, makes mud, and, and puts the mud on a guy's eyes. But this, from what we can read here, like he just spits on the dude. And that's got to be surprising, right? If you're, you're spit on and that's part of your, your miracle. And we don't know exactly why Jesus did it this way. Some commentators think that maybe this guy had like, like blisters and sores like in his eyes and maybe the saliva itself was kind of this salve, this, this healing balm that, that Jesus could use to bring some comfort before the healing. But honestly, we don't know. What we do know is that it was messy And so maybe part of what we're meant to take from this is sometimes our very healing process is messy. And maybe what even feels like a bigger mess is actually part of the very thing God's working in us to bring about his miracle. 
We see Jesus laid his hands on him and said, can you see anything? And the guy looked around and said, I can, but it's, it's still blurry. It, it looks like trees fall, walking around. So what we know from that is at one time in this guy's life, he could see. Because if you know what a tree looks like, it means you used to be able to see a tree. So this guy wasn't born blind. He knew what a tree was. He had been able to see at some point, which means either an injury or an illness had led to this blindness. And Jesus had been re- was restoring what was taken. We also see that this miracle happened kind of in a progressive sense. It didn't happen all at once. Every other time in the Gospels, Jesus healed somebody, it happened instantly. And Jesus certainly had the power to heal this guy instantly. And he didn't. He did it in stages. Can you see anything yet? Jesus knew the answer to that question because he always knows the answers to the questions he asked. But this guy had to be honest about his current state. I can see better, but I'm still not all the way healed. In other words, I... I need, I need more of the healing that you're giving. And we have to be honest about what, where we are and honest about what we need from the Lord. And then Jesus finished the healing and the guy's eyes were completely restored. And then finally, Jesus told him, don't go back into the village on your way home. So Jesus brought him out of the place to heal him and then didn't let him go back into the place. He, he sent him somewhere else and we're gonna end up talking more about that. But first, here's the first point. Salvation is a one-time event, but healing is often a process. This guy's healing was a process. When we come to faith in Christ, we get saved all at once. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. Even if you don't feel like a new creation, in a moment, you're a new creation because you've invited Jesus to be the savior of your life and you've changed your spiritual identity. Really, he's changed your spiritual identity. He does all the work and we just receive that gift by faith. It happens in an instant, but change in us, it happens as a process. It happens over time. And one feature that I'm thankful for on Facebook is this thing called Time Hop, where it'll pop up and say, hey, you posted this picture five years ago or 10 years ago or even longer. And I look at it and I realize, man, so much has happened since then. Because when we're living in our life one day at a time, it feels like nothing is happening. It feels like I'm not changing, I'm not growing, nothing is changing. But when you look back on your life five years ago, 10 years ago, you start to see where growth has happened. You start to see how your your kids, when one day at a time, they don't look taller than they did yesterday. And tomorrow they won't look taller than they did today. But over five years, 10 years, it's a completely different person. And little by little, God is growing us in so many ways. And sometimes we need to pause and reflect on where we've been and how far he's taken us and the good that he has done in our lives over time. And to be patient Because, again, we want everything instant. God, I want you to fix this instantly. And that's rarely how God works. You know, faith is more like a crock pot in a microwave world. We want stuff fast, and God's like, I want to do it over time. I want to do it as a process because that process is going to bring you closer to me and allow me to take the journey with you. Because God wants to do more than just the miracles. He wants to do those too, but more than anything, he wants a relationship with you. He wants to grow you into the person you were meant to be. He wants the same thing for me. And that takes time. And he is a patient, loving father that's willing to invest the time. I'm so thankful for this verse. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. So the moment that that you put your faith in Christ, you're saved. He saved you in an instant, and then he began a new work in you that he's going to ultimately complete, your sanctification, your growth, your healing, your freedom from all that's held you back. And he's going to complete that. And so when you don't have it all at once, 
Don't get discouraged. Don't say, God, what's taking you so long? Are you even there? Are you there at all? He is working and he's with you every second of the way. Coming back to kind of the the eyes and the vision analogy, it's sort of like when I got LASIK years ago. And when you get LASIK, they shoot these little laser beams into your eyes, which sounds really freaky, okay? But it works. It, It takes a few seconds, a few seconds, and then, you know, your eyes are essentially fixed, but you can't see immediately. So they said, this is how it's gonna happen. This process is gonna be instant, basically. It's gonna take a few seconds, but when you first open your eyes, you're gonna see worse than you did before. It's gonna be blurry, but don't freak out. That's part of it. But by tomorrow, you're gonna be able to see perfectly. But tonight, you're gonna feel blind. And so, all right, let's, let's give this a go. And so they, you know, they shoot these lasers in my eyes and I open up my eyes and everything's blurry. And I put on sunglasses and they're like, you know, your wife's gonna have to drive you home and, and you're gonna have to kind of be led around for a little bit. But I'm telling you, you're gonna wake up in the morning and it's gonna be a whole new world. So sure enough, my wife's leading me around. First place we went is Chipotle because I found that even if, you're, if someone takes your vision, you're like, Dave, you're gonna be blind. I'd be sad, but if they say, but there's a burrito involved and I'm happier, <laughs> right? It's like a burrito just makes it better. Like I picture when you get to, get to heaven, like, like the welcome committee, there's, there's gonna be a burrito involved at some point in the wedding feast of the lamb. That's just the way that I read into it. But so I'm there at Chipotle, but I can't see anything because I can't really open my eyes because the, the light hurts it so much and everything's so blurry. So I got these sunglasses on and I appear 100% blind to the people at Chipotle. And Ashley is very lovingly walking me through the line and she's explaining what's there. And the people are being so kind and compassionate. So that we have this and we have this and and I'm like, thanks so much. And then, and I'm, you know, and, and they make the burrito and I sit down and Ashley's helping me to like find the burrito. And, and I can feel that they're like watching me, you know, like that they're just watching this whole thing. And then she, lead, Ashley leads me by the hand out to the car. Well, I go back to Chipotle like two days later and they're like, it's the blind guy. He's, it's a miracle, right? Like I can see. And, and they were blown away. And I'm like, this was it was the miracle of LASIK this time. So sometimes though, that's how, that's how God works. It's like he starts the healing process. And at first, at first you think this feels worse than it did before. Like, I don't know that I'm getting any better. Because when, when a, a surgeon cuts a cancerous tumor out of you, you feel worse than you did the day before when the tumor was just quietly growing inside of you. Because now you're cut and you're sore and you're like, that hurt. I feel worse. You hurt me. You didn't heal me. But no, he healed you. He took out the thing that was destroying you. And over time, you're going to get better and better. And it's going to be a life-changing thing. But that healing process is sometimes a a messy one. Sometimes it's a painful one. Sometimes it's a blurry one. But over time, things are going to come into focus. And you have to trust God in the process. You have to trust him in the process. So, Whatever that looks like for you, whatever process you're in, whatever mess you're in right now, and every one of us has some kind of mess that we're dealing with. Every single one of us came in here today, you're watching online today, you're at South Campus today, and you came here today, and there's something in your life that's heavy. Behind every smile and every good morning and everything's good on the surface, all of us are thinking about something. You know, we're worried about a, one of our kids. We're worried, we're, we're stressed about some financial situation or something that's going on at work or just something. And Jesus sees all of it and he's like, I wanna be there with you in that mess. Trust me with that mess and we're gonna get through it together and I'm gonna bring healing to it, but you gotta trust me with the process. 
Another thing we can learn from this story is this principle. Healing happens in relationships, not in isolation. See, we all have this mindset in our modern world that we don't need anybody else, right? We don't need, don't touch me. You might give me something, like just stay away from me. Like, let's just, let's not be too close to each other. Let's just all from a distance, we're good. Maybe online we'll interact, but in person we're not. And like, everybody's just gonna do their own thing. And that isolation, which was happening way before COVID. You know, COVID has made that a whole lot worse because now like we have this great fear and skepticism of, of being too close to anybody. And some of that was just common prudence of not wanting to get germs. But I think a lot of it, it cemented this false mindset that we had before of distrust around others and not being too vulnerable or too close to anybody. And when we live that way, we miss out on real community. We miss out on real relationships. And we miss out on what God calls us to do. So much of what we're called to do in Scripture is impossible outside of relationships. So much of it is do this one to another. Like, do this within community. Like, there's just this common assumption that you're going to be living this out within a community of friends where you're not just friends, you're really living as brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're sharing each other's burdens, and you're encouraging each other, and holding each other accountable, and helping one another, and praying for one another, and confessing to one another. And... All of those things are so needed, and we've got to get back to that. We've got to get back to being in relationship because that's where real healing happens. Yes, Jesus ultimately is our healer. Jesus is our only Savior. But for us to live out the healing and the new life he has for us, we have to do it within community. I'm going to read this passage from Hebrews that talks about the six core principles of the Christian faith. And then there's there's one of these six that we've almost completely abandoned in our modern world. And yet the Bible calls it foundational. The Hebrews writer says this, so let us stop going over the basic teachings. So these are gonna be the very basic core teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. So surely we don't need to start again with these fundamental importance of these six things, repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and when I skipped over, baptism. So that's six. So let's run through them real quick. Repenting, that means turning from my old way of life to a new way of life. That's step one. I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to live for Jesus. My way isn't working. Jesus, I'm going to live for you. Repenting just means to turn, to turn from one way and turn to another, to turn to God. And then number two, placing our faith in God. Faith is what it's all about. Faith is the choice to actively put our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Baptism, that's the act of going public with our faith, which we do at this church and which which Christians all over the world have done since the time of Christ. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, that's our belief and knowledge that this life isn't all there is, that that God is going to come and there's going to be resurrection, and then eternal judgment, that every person is going to spend eternity somewhere, either with Jesus or apart from him. And that's why we tell everybody we can about Jesus so they can spend eternity with him. So we get five of those six pretty good, but the laying on of hands, something that's considered a core fundamental part. If there are only six aspects of Christianity, this is listed as one of the six right in the middle. And we don't touch each other anymore. We don't wanna get close enough for anybody to touch us because we're afraid of contact. And the laying on of hands in scripture was a way that, that, Authority was imparted and prayers were given and encouragement was given and life was shared. It's a picture of being close enough in community to others where your, your, your shoulders and your elbows are rubbing against each other because you're right there in it together. 
And then when we pray for one another, it's not just digital, but it's like I can put my hand on your shoulder and say a prayer in Jesus' name for you. And there's something powerful that happens in that touch, a healing that happens in that touch. So often when Jesus would heal someone, even though he could do it with just a word, he would touch them first because there's, there's healing in humanity and something even supernatural when we get, we get close enough to just be able to touch. It's a call back to relationship. It's a call back to real community. And our world is teaching us to get more and more isolated from one another and to be more skeptical of one another. And yeah, you know, wash your hands and all that and use common sense, but we've gotta be close enough to be back in community. You know, I was reminded of a story recently about a guy who was willing to do this and it, it changed the world and it, it challenged me. It's a, a guy maybe you've heard of. He, he was a pastor named David Wilkerson that was really well known in the 60s, 70s and 80s. And this is kind of how his story started. He was a young suburban pastor living a pretty comfortable life and he felt convicted that he was wasting too much of his time. So like at night he'd get home and he would just watch TV and he was like, this just feels like a waste of time. I should probably make a better use of this time. And so he committed to praying more. He was gonna turn off the TV a lot more and he was gonna spend more time praying. And then when he was sort of neat ideas of what to pray about, he would open up a newspaper or a magazine and he would look to see what's happening in the world or in his community and he would pray for that. But he started getting convicted that when you pray for things, it doesn't relieve you of the responsibility to go get involved in those things. In fact, if anything, prayer should move us to more action. And so he read this article about this gang of youth in New York City that was causing all this crime. And as he read it, he felt like the Holy Spirit was just convicting him, saying, man, those kids just need to know Jesus. They don't know anybody loves them. They don't know that there's any hope and there's nobody that's willing to go to them because everybody's too afraid of them. You should go. And Dave's like, me, I'm this suburban guy. I don't know anything about like inner city gang ministry, but he felt like if I'm going to make an impact, I've got to get close enough to touch. I've got to be present. I've got to be close enough to be in danger myself because that's the only way relationships can really happen. Jesus came to us and we're called to go to others in his name. And so he went to New York City and not really sure what he was going to do, but he just started looking for this gang. And nobody, nobody wanted to get anywhere close to him. And so he just kind of kept knocking on doors until finally he found himself in one of the most dangerous parts of town. And someone pointed him in the direction of the leader of this gang. And Dave went up to him and introduced himself, you know, and, and this gang member just kind of like looked at him and laughed, thinking, what is this guy doing here? And the, the guy pulls a switchblade out and he said, I could cut you into a thousand pieces right now. And David said, yeah, you could. And every one of those pieces would testify about how much Jesus loves you. And the guy was intrigued by that and it started a conversation and that conversation started a friendship and that gang leader eventually came to faith in Christ, started a revival among this gang as David just started pouring his life into these kids. And out of that, not only were those kids brought to faith in Christ, but they realized that there was so much more need everywhere else. And a ministry was born called Teen Challenge that has helped tens of thousands of teenagers who've been caught up in addiction and desperate situations of all kind find sobriety and find healing and find hope in Christ. And a generation was changed because one guy decided, I'm willing to put myself in harm's way because if I'm gonna make a difference, I gotta get close enough to lay hands. I gotta get close enough to be in relationship. I gotta get close enough to touch. 
and we're called to do the same. Maybe you're not going to be called to go to New York City or fly across the ocean and become a missionary overseas, though maybe you will. And if you feel that call, you should absolutely pursue it. But what all of us for sure are called to do is to make that kind of difference right where we are. Because even in our own homes, we're not really connected the way that we once were. We're all isolated on our own devices. Even, even in our own churches and our places of work, like we're disconnected and we're called as the people of God, as imperfect as we are, to be ambassadors for Jesus and to be the ones who are reaching out the way he's reached out to us and building relationships, real relationships with people, being present, listening to people's story, just giving our time. Maybe he's gonna call you to, to get involved here in our city in some way or to, or to serve at our dream center in some way or to volunteer at the church, rocking babies, just praying for and blessing these precious little kids while their parents come and have an hour in here to, to, to worship without the distraction and you can just rock a precious kid in your arms. But do something that gets you close enough to touch because guys, that's, that's where the miracles happen. That's where relationships happen. That's where healing really happens. And I think that we're settling for something too little when we isolate ourselves. And so let's be willing to do that. Let's, in our prayer, to say, Lord, listen, like, help me to think bigger. Like, help me to think less selfishly. Because selfishly, I don't want to get involved in anybody else, else's life. And I really don't want anybody involved in my life. I just want to do my own thing and let other people do their own thing and go through life and not really know anybody or anybody know me. And guys, that's just an empty way to live. And that is not the way of the gospel. We're called to so much more. We're called, we're called to relationship. And so let's recommit to that today, starting right in our own homes and maybe far outside of our own homes too, wherever God leads you to just say, Lord, I'm in, I'm in and I wanna go. And forgive me that I've put up so many barriers around myself and help me to be more open to whatever you wanna do in and through my life. And I'm, I'm telling you, he's, gonna, he's gonna, gonna do it. About that, that David Wilkerson story though, the rest of the story is he, he wrote that story down in a book called The Cross and the Switchblade, which went on to sell 50 million copies and all over the world became an inspiration to people and then became a movie in the 70s that, uh, that as a kid later, I remember actually watching, here's a movie poster I, I found um, and just a, a really, really, compelling story still. So uh, it's, there's so many great examples of the faith through history and, and examples of faith happening all around us, but God wants to write a great story of faith through your life. He doesn't use people that have the best resume. He uses people who have the most willing heart to say, Lord, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go into my office. I'll be an encourager in my family. I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And you'll be amazed at the doors that he starts to open for you. So don't talk yourself out of it. Don't say, I'm not qualified or I've got... I've got too much of a past or I don't know the Bible well enough or whatever excuse that you're using, he's just waiting for you to say, yes, Lord, I'm in. What do you wanna do today? One last point, as it relates to healing, what we can learn from this story, when Jesus leads you out of a place, don't walk back into it. Jesus led this guy out of the village. It's the very first line of this story. And then at the end, the last line, he says, now don't go back into the village. I led you out of it because you're healing had to happen outside of that village. Now I'm saying, don't go back in there. And we don't, we don't know why. Maybe this guy's healing had to happen outside the village because he was injured there. Maybe like he was hurt there. There were people that were taking advantage of him there or 
um, you know, using him in some way. Maybe this guy's identity was tied up to just being a beggar in that village. And when he was there, even though now he, he could see, he would never get outside of that identity that he'd come to believe that I'm just a beggar and that's all I'll ever be. But for whatever reason, we know that that village wasn't a good place for this guy. And so Jesus said, I need you to stay away from there. And I think in all of our lives, there are gonna be times God calls us out of something and then tells us, don't go back there. If I've, I've called you out of that addiction, don't go back to that addiction. If I've called you out of that toxic relationship, don't go back to that toxic relationship. If I've called you out of that broken way of thinking, then don't go back to it. Stay on the right path. The Proverbs say it this way, the path of the virtuous leads away from evil. Whoever follows that path is safe. So there's, there's a path that God has for us. And he's like, listen, if you're on one path and it's, it's not the right path for you, we've gotta be willing for God to put us on a new path. But even a broken path, even a path to nowhere, if it's what we're used to, it's where we'll be drawn. We, we all end up being drawn back to whatever we're used to. If our family was always broken in a certain way, then we're gonna be drawn to like doing those same broken things in our own families. If we've been caught up in a certain habit for a long time, even if we know it's bad for us, we're gonna be caught up in wanting to always return to that as a broken source of comfort, even though we know it's bad for us. And Jesus is saying, I've got a better path for you. So I wanna take you out of that place and put you somewhere new, but you gotta be willing to keep walking on that new path to new life if you want to live out the reality and the destiny that I have for you. And scripture has so many great stories of people who Jesus took from one way of living, one way of thinking, and put on a new way of living and thinking. And one of those heroes, uh, just as a final story, is one of, to me, like just a great hero in the faith. And it, she was a young woman named Rahab. And I'll kind of give you the, the Cliff's Notes version of her, her life. So Rahab lived in this pagan city called Jericho. And this was at the time when God had promised his nation of Israel the promised land. And they were going to go and, and have to chase out some of the pagan inhabitants of that land so that they could, they could put down roots and become the nation God had intended for them to be. And so to do that, this one city was a place that they were gonna have to conquer. And so Israel sent some spies into the walled city of Jericho. And Rahab was a young woman who lived there. She happened to be a prostitute. That was her line of work. The Bible's clear that that was the lifestyle that she was in. It's probably all that she'd ever known, maybe her whole family. That's, that's just kind of what they had been and what they had been known for. But it certainly had been her job. And, and whether she was initially forced into it or it's a life she chose, we don't know but we know that that's the life that she was living. And when these spies came into town, it was like her spiritual eyes were open and she recognized these guys are from God. She had this sense in her spirit to know these men are on a mission from the, from, from the Lord. And even though my people, my family, my city, we don't know that God, we don't worship that God, I know that that God's trying to get my attention and that he cares about me and has a plan for my life. And I've got a defining choice to make is I can look at these men as, as if they're a threat and I can help to conquer them or I can help these men of God on their mission. And in doing so, I can choose a new life, leave my old life behind. She chose a new life. She chose to help these men uh, and she, she chose to help, help the nation of Israel and the God, the God that had put them on this mission. And she put herself at risk to do it. But in her heroism and in her courage, she was able to be part of that victory and then afterwards, she and her siblings and her parents were given safe passage to kind of come and, and live as part of the nation of Israel, even though they themselves were foreigners. And now Rahab had a choice to make then. She could have probably thought, 
all I know how to be is a prostitute. That's, that's what I'm known for, and that's, that's who I am, maybe. That's just who I am. But she dared to believe that the God who had spared her life saw much more in her than that. And so she started to see herself, not in light of what she had done, not in light of her history, but in light of what God said about her, that she could be a new creation, that she could be adopted into God's family. And so she chose to see herself that way and grow in her faith and grow in her character. And as she did, she caught the attention of a young man in the Israelite army, a man named Salmon, who noticed her and they decided to get married, start a family together. And those two started a family and they had kids. And one of those kids was a boy, a little boy whose name was Boaz. Boaz grew up and just like his father had done years later, a foreign woman who didn't know the God of Israel caught his eye, but she was a young woman of such great character and faith and depth and integrity that Boaz was drawn to her. And so when Boaz and Ruth came together and Ruth committed her life to God, they began a family. They had a little boy named Obed. Obed grew up and he had a little boy named Jesse. Jesse grew up and he had a whole bunch of kids. And the youngest of Jesse's kids was this little runt, scrawny shepherd boy that nobody expected much out of. His name was David. But God had a plan for that kid's life because God says, I don't look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And that kid, man, he has a heart after me. I can make a king out of him. And so God chose David to be a king. The great-great-grandson of a foreign prostitute became the greatest king in Israel. But God wasn't done with the, the lineage and the line that he had planned through the faith of Rahab. No, because through that same line, a thousand years later, in a little town called Bethlehem, born in a manger, a descendant of David, a descendant of Rahab, named Jesus, was born to be the Savior of the world, the Son of God, God wrapped in flesh. And Rahab didn't get the privilege of looking ahead a thousand years to see how her faith would ultimately change the world and be the very family line God would choose to use to bring his son into the earth. She just chose to trust that as a new creation in him, God was gonna do more in her life than she could imagine. And guys, we are called to that same kind of faith. We don't get to see a thousand years into the future to see what God's gonna do through our family and through our faith and through the little seeds we have planted through little acts of trusting in God. But for every single one of us, God is writing a story bigger than you can imagine if you just say yes to him. And you're not on this side of heaven gonna see how it all fits together. Because on this side, we're still always gonna see a little bit blurry. Our eyes aren't fully opened, fully healed until we get to heaven. But in the meantime, Jesus is there to take us by the hand and saying, trust me as I walk through this healing journey with you. So I'm gonna pray for us right now. I'm gonna pray that, that the Lord would help the scales fall off our eyes for any part of our life where we've allowed blindness to set in so that we could see clearly who we are in Him and what He's calling us to. But I also wanna pray specifically for anyone here who doesn't yet know Him because that's the moment where it goes from darkness to light, from blindness to seeing when you say, Jesus, come and be the Savior of my soul. And He's ready to do that for you today. So let's pray. Lord, we thank You. Thank You that You're still in the miracle business. 
Thank you, God, for adopting us into your family. Jesus, because of what you did on the cross to pay the price for our sins, once we put our hope and trust in you, everything changes. But we also know, Lord, that the healing you wanna do in us, it's a process. And so give us strength for every day of the journey. But for those who haven't even started that journey yet, let today be the day in their own heart and mind, they pray a simple prayer and they say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. God, forgive me of my spiritual blindness. Help me to see, help me to believe that you are who you say you are. And I'm choosing to believe it today. Adopt me into your family, make me the person I was meant to be. And Lord, I commit the rest of my life and eternity to walking with you. And for all of us, God, wherever we are on that journey, help us recommit fully to you today, to whatever you have for us, wherever you wanna lead us. God, we say yes, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.